0: Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Where Do We Begin? My name is Harper. My co-host, our South Australian correspondent goes by the name of Lockie. How are you, Lockie?
1: Yeah, I'm awesome, mate. I'm glad to be here and super excited to crack into this episode. How are you? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm super excited for this
0: one as well. Who have we got?
1: I've got uh, Neralee Meadows, who is one of the, uh, the best sports broadcasters in Australia at the moment. Super excited to have her on. I'm pumped, pumped for it.
0: Yeah, I'm pumped too, so straight into it, do you reckon?
1: Let's dive in.
0: All right, and now the person we're speaking to today is one that we've been wanting and looking forward to having on the show for a long, long time now. She's one of the best sports reporters and journalists and broadcasters going around, and of course, the host of the brilliant uh, podcast, Ordinarily Speaking, which, by the way, is officially Australia's best sports podcast, and just got to say, lucky. not sure how we didn't win that award, but anyway, <laughs> I'll put aside my jealousy just for one sec and say that we're absolutely delighted to welcome onto the show, Neroli Meadows. How are you, Neroli? Thank you very
2: much. That's a very nice intro from you boys. I appreciate it.
1: You're welcome. I didn't actually say anything, but I guess we <laughs> always like to start with the uh, the tough questions here and it's basically, how's everything going with you? You know, how's your start to 2021 been?
2: Look, I can't really complain, to be honest, because I've been back home in Western Australia after being stuck in Melbourne for most of 2020 and obviously it was a pretty challenging year for everyone. Last year, so it's been nice just to be with the family and friends and meet babies that you know I hadn't been able to meet yet, and really just head to the beach every morning and, um, yeah, hang out with family and friends and, and enjoy summer like a normal person, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, perfect. I think I saw because we love to do our research, you know, I was just scrolling through Instagram and saw you at the beaches and stuff over there. I've actually never been to Western Australia, and it's funny because I feel like a lot of people from the southern states I know Harper's been there a few times because he's got family over there, but I've never been to Australia. Western Australia. I thought not enough people really make the trek to get up there.
2: Yeah, it's amazing over here. Like Some of the best beaches in the world are in Western Australia, white sandy beaches, turquoise waters. Um, yeah, I think there's been a few people that have gotten a bit mad at me posting a beach photo pretty much <laughs> every morning, but definitely making the most of it. It's the perfect way to start a day, just have a coffee and have a quick dip in the water. So been spending a bunch of time down in Margaret River as well, one of my favourite places in the world. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, everybody yeah, says so. that about the beaches in Western Australia, how good they are, but then we all go up to New South Wales we all go up to Queensland but we never ever venture really Western Australia which is something I definitely want to do and I guess the thing with all this COVID I know the restrictions are always changing so you can't really book in a holiday but it's definitely a place I want to check out.
2: Yeah, I can definitely recommend it. That's for sure. There's a bit of everything in WA. So, um, yeah, I, I love coming back here, obviously, for the people, but also for, for the beaches and the wineries and all that sort of stuff as well.
1: Did you have to check that shark radar before going down to the beach? Because I've been seeing there's been a few photos up of just, yeah, all the sharks being sighted. It's crazy. There's,
2: yeah, there's been quite a few recently, which is a bit scary. But, I mean, I just tend to stick pretty close to shore and- <laughs> Not staying for too long.
0: A few jellyfish is about all I've had to contend with. Yeah, so you're you're in Perth now, obviously, but you grew up in country WA, didn't you? uh, Obviously, uh, Sydney and Melbourne, where you've lived in the past, is a step up from maybe Perth, and then Perth's a whole step up from country WA. So tell us a bit about your early life out there.
2: Yeah, so I grew up in a coal mining town called Colley which is about two and a half hours um, southeast of Perth, um, about forty-five minutes inland from Bunbury. Uh, we had a little hobby farm. So my uh, grandfather was a, a farmer, and my, my both my parents were doctors. But my dad still wanted a bit of land, so we grew up on a hobby farm on on the river, I had pet sheep as um, as a kid, uh, Cindy and Bowie, that I, our hand raised and called to them. So I didn't have the normal sort of animals that most kids do. Um, but it was an amazing upbringing, uh, two big brothers, a lot of sport. Um, yeah, and just had uh, really a, a wonderful upbringing. Can't complain about anything really and and growing up in a country town really that sense of community and um and like say passion for sport which is um I basically was about 14 when I, I wanted to play basketball for Australia but um I just wasn't that tall wasn't very quick and to be honest I wasn't all that talented either so decided to watch sport for a living instead and that's that's where the dream came about when I was 14 years of age and then everything sort of just became about that from there on in.
1: Yeah, pet sheep. I oh, actually we had a pet lamb for a while, uh, Georgie, because my dad had a hobby farm down in um, Clunes. we're down in the Mornington Peninsula now, and Can it was you called. Call? Uh, it was called George after because um, he was missing an ear. So right. after George Weasley from Harry Potter because he right. lost his ear. Right. Yeah, and, yeah okay. it was all, you're a bit it was younger awesome than me, but. but-, <laughs> <laughs>
0: but yeah,
2: did, was- did you call to the sheep though? Could you get it to run to you?
1: Uh, yeah, George, yeah, George did uh, run up to us. We had a little bit of land where we were, but unfortunately no longer with us.
2: <laughs> <laughs> See, I had to do the little sheep call to get the lambs to run oh, to me. Yeah. yeah give it a <laughs> And then run straight to you.
0: <laughs> I've got to say, as like a border bred city boy, this is the most foreign stuff I've ever heard to me. <laughs> I've got no idea what you're on about, but I'm happy to hear you guys talk about your hobby farms and your sheep. Go for it.
2: <laughs> no, you got the mullet, so, you
1: know. <laughs> not too many sheep up in Coburg Harps?
0: Nah, nah, not too many roaming around. Actually, it's funny as that may sound, but we we'll get some a few kangaroos on the creek, stuff like that. It's not too bad, but it's not quite collie WAs bit of a uh, <laughs> sidestep to that bit different
1: but yeah I guess going back narrowly so I, th- I think we've all had that like you're in you're into sport then you look at oh what what careers can there be you know I think I was like you you know I love my footy I love my cricket it didn't take me too long to realize I was no good at them so obviously a sportsman's career wasn't on the radar and then I think everybody's mind sort of jumps to uh or well, what what jobs are they the coaches and then there's obviously journalism now I guess what made you want to go down that journalism path, especially as well the fact that how competitive it actually is to get a gig in sports journalism?
2: I just always love storytelling. Um, And to be honest, I never wanted to be a newsbreaker. I was never any good at it. I wanted to be a storyteller and a sports broadcaster. So I wanted to be doing the interviews and the moments that, you know, you have to be really on your toes and have the good connections and the good chemistry with the people that you're speaking to, that you get the best insights for those sitting at home on their couches. Um, and that's what I was passionate about, and the only way that I could really go about doing that was was a journalism um, degree. So, uh, became a, a sports journalist. Um, the degree wasn't specifically in sports; it was it was just in journalism in general. But I tried to skew it as much to sports as possible, even though they sort of made it pretty clear, you know, it's there's not a lot of jobs, and and it's certainly very tough for women. Um, but I just sort of figured, look, if only a handful of people get it, that's that's all right. That's you know, that's five people and I could potentially be one of them. Like it's not they're not saying there's no people. Um, so it wasn't impossible. So I just figured I would go about attempting that and um and if that didn't work out then i was you know smart enough to work out something else along the way basically figure if you know you only get one life so you may as well aim for what you really want and then make it work from there
1: yeah definitely i guess like why waste time doing something that you're only half interested in you may as well go bulls to the horn as hard as you can for what you really want to do
2: well, you just don't know, do you? You don't know unless you give it a crack. So, I guess most of my life has just been about well, you may as well just give it a crack and not not do something because of a fear of failure. I just think that's such a bad reason not to try stuff. Um, the harder something is, the more rewarding it is when it when it actually works out okay.
0: Yeah, I'm heading into a uh, similar journalism degree just later this year, and I I know uh, you did a, was it a bachelor or journalism at Curtin University and um, did a diploma in broadcasting at uh, one of the great tertiary acronyms, WAPA, of course. So uh, tell us a bit about that kind of environment of, uh, like with everyone else wanting to go into journalism, because I know not many of my mates want to go into journalism. What's it like being in a whole class, whole cohort full of aspiring journalists?
2: Yeah, so I was seventeen when I moved out of home from Collie. Um, so we we sort of our school in Western Australia is a bit younger than what it always was on the East Coast. I know it's all changed now with all the weird sort of halfway through the year and all that sort of stuff. But when I when I I was born in September, so when I went to uni, I was just turned seventeen. Um, and yeah, it was it was like I say, it was a lot of reality checks from tutors and stuff like that. I remember them putting on the board, you know, the most disliked. Um, uh, occupations and it was pretty much car salesmen down the bottom, lawyers next, I think, and then journalists. So they were, you know, they were pretty much telling us it's not a popular gig. And oh, know, I'm different.
1: studying law, so it looks like I'm not popular either. <laughs>
2: <laughs> You're a bunch of
0: misfits in here, right? Um, eh?
2: Journalism may have even been, yeah, I can't remember the order of those two, but basically, no one likes this. Um, and yeah, and, and so I got through. Um, curtain and the the undergrad and i think the thing for me was taking everything as seriously as possible so um making sure that when i had a uni assignment i was treating it like it was for the real world world broadcast much like you guys are now with with a podcast and as much as you you know you try and make things as real as possible then i think the better experience it gives you in once you do get a job and and more opportunities to work experience and stuff like that so I, i took it pretty seriously on that front and then did six months in the States as well. Um, at oh, University really? Whereabouts? On Tennessee?
1: Oh, in, Tennessee yeah. in Tennessee? How was that? That's unbelievable. Yeah, it was
2: amazing. I mean, it, it's like the high school movies, um, you know, and – It really is like that. Like the stereotypes are absolutely true. (laughs) Band practice, you know, six o'clock in the morning, you know, athletes that say things at the lift like, don't you know who I am? Um, (laughs) Kenny Rogers came and sung the Gambler at halftime of one of the college football games, which each one of them had over 100,000 people all dressed in orange. Um, You know, and the the school band like spells out Kenny um, with their bodies on the ground. Um, The basketball stadium at the college had 25,000 capacity Peyton Manning um, was his his jersey was retired um, halfway through at the at homecoming when I was there. And so he's, you know, in the middle of the ground, sort of giving it the old, I don't want to be remembered as a great footballer. I just want to be remembered as a great man who's happened to play football. And the you know, 100,000 people just go up in the air. So it was very much like, The sort of cliche of of American college and loved every second of it. It was. I tell you
1: what, you've got the American accent down, Pat. That was pretty good. You know, I I, I like to think I do a good one, although everybody tells me it's shocking. But yours was awesome. I guess how do you going to America? How did the I guess the studies differ to what you were taught over here? Because American meat is very different to Australia, and I actually really like that aspect. I love how in America, you know, the players like the like rookies come into the league, they'll say that they're the best best in their draft class. The players will say they're the best in the league. Whereas in Australia, it's really fr- frowned upon. And I feel like media personalities, I love listening to like Bill Simmons and his podcast. He's very, hes he displays a lot more personality and it's a lot more, a bit of satire. Whereas in Australia, it's very different. Is that what you found in your studies as well?
2: It's interesting because I think it was the studies then, um, just a very different way of, of approaching things, the way that they would do it. even just live crosses. You know, it was much more, they um, would engage and embrace the fact that they are in a live TV environment. So in Australia, it tends to be a lot more polished um, slash dull. <laughs> like yeah, it yeah. tends to be a lot more we are presenting our, you know, this is our job kind of thing. Whereas in America you'll get people like, hang on, hang on, there's word coming through that, you know, uh, we're just, just to hang on, there's producer in my ear and actually there's just breaking news and they'll they'll do stuff like that and really yeah. embrace the moment and really dramatize it um and i noticed that as well during the super bowl at the start of last year in miami and and working with with espn that um the they want to embrace your personality and not just your knowledge Um, and it's kind of fun like being given the freedom to hey we just we don't just want you as a as a journalist or a broadcaster we want you as a um, you know your personality, so it's really it's really fun and very different, very different to Australia.
1: Oh uh, yeah, I wanted to ask you about the Super Bowl. I'll ask about a spectator later. But I ask you first. Like, what was it like, like working on one of like the biggest productions? Like, there's over 100 million viewers. Like, it must have been absolutely crazy. I mean, especially just working for a production company. Like, did you know many of the people that you're working with? I like, just crazy.
2: Yeah, it was insane. I didn't I didn't know anyone um, and they were pretty much all Americans that I was working with over there, even though it was for ESPN Australia and New Zealand. So it was bigger than even I thought it would be. And obviously since studying in the States, you know, Super Bowl has always been a bucket list just to go to, but to actually work on it and get paid to go and work on it was beyond dream come true. And when I think about 2020 and all the challenges that it, that it entailed, I always remind myself that it also had some of the best moments of my career, and I think it's super important to remember those and focus on those real positives. But, yeah, the Super Bowl, I mean, I I picked an amazing one as well. Like, it was in Miami, which is just epic fun and, you know, great summer weather, even though it's in the middle of their winter. Um, You know, great stories for both teams. Patrick Mahomes, who they're saying is the best that's ever played as far as, you know, skill and ability to bring it back from the brink. And the actual game itself, the fact that the Chiefs came from nowhere to sort of win that game in comeback fashion, like unbelievable experience. But it's funny you talk about the people that I was working with, um, you know, and, and the challenges of 2020. One of the guys I was alongside Um, hosting alongside is Emmanuel Archo who used to play in the NFL and you know wasn't a particularly well-known player Um, injury derailed uh, sorry career derailed by injury in the end but very very talented broadcaster and he sort of done a bit in in the states but um, you know was working with ESPN Australia for the Super Bowl so obviously not the biggest um, broadcast at the Super Bowl but still working on the big game and um, he was a, an absolute legend of a bloke, but his trajectory in 2020 was he basically, I think he wins 2020 because when the Black Lives Matter movement really ramped up, he used that time um, in lockdown to basically create an at-home video um, and really a movement called Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. And he recorded it at home and... Um, and and put it out there and and basically the first video got millions of hits and then the second video that he that he did of uncomfortable conversations with a black man was alongside Matthew McConaughey um and then he suddenly gets a a phone call from Oprah Winfrey going hey I want to do a book with you so (laughs) he went from me um to Oprah Winfrey in a couple of months (laughs) so I think he wins um but you know what an experience and and at the end of the day no matter what your careers end up being like it's the people that you meet along the way that are that are the best thing about it so yeah that was a pretty cool little um side story to to 2020 for me
0: yeah i'm no uh american sports expert or anything like that and uh i don't think the general australian public sees you as like the nfl person the nfl journalist yeah so how did they approach you and how did you get that gig
2: um, well, basically, like I said, because I had time in the States um, at a younger age, so I have a fair bit of understanding of American sports and, and um, NFL from you know that than the average person does I guess but I'm certainly no expert here either but they just wanted somebody that was a that was a storyteller um had a little bit of a profile in in Australia and the ability to hit the ground running and self-produce and all that sort of stuff so um the moment that they knew that I was available they contacted me um, bizarrely enough via Instagram um and way uh, you go about it yeah <laughs> slipped into the dm um and and basically said you know we, we wanted to discuss a few things and i um you know i didn't really think that much of it to be honest because i didn't you know say the super bowl in there i, I just assumed it was you know a few live crosses or something like that from from um the studio or whatever and uh it was a few weeks Later in December last year, that um, I was actually driving to a wedding in Wagga Wagga, and um, God's and country, and um, and said, "Look, we want to send you to the Super Bowl in Miami." And and uh, I was like, uh, "You know, I always knew the road to the Super Bowl in, included a trip to Wagga Wagga." <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> Classic um, path, of course.
2: Yeah, I was a bit like, uh, oh, really? You want to send me the, Sure. Uh, <laughs> so that was that was pretty cool.
1: That's phenomenal. I guess. Football—it's so American football, is so different to the other sports that you've had to cover. I've seen that you've covered the tennis, cricket, AFL, basketball, and I'm sure many other sports. how do you go about? Because you obviously in your role you have to be like knowledgeable and about the sport. Like, do you find it tough to transition from sport to sport? Because I know with us, i we've balanced, out we've had a lot of different athletes. On so like, like we've been, had an American footballer on, an NBA player. Then we have like footballers and Australians and then hockey players. And for us, it's not as bad because to be honest, a lot of the time we're learning as the athlete talks about us. But for you, you, you have to have that knowledge base, and because you have to comment on the game, do you ever find that tough?
2: I mean, it's hard work, but it's hard work that I'm willing to. Put in. Like, I just think it's disrespectful to an audience to not put in the hard work. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess I had an experience early days where I moved from Perth to Sydney um, in tw- at the start of 2010 and did two years in Sydney. And so I was covering, you know, a lot of NRL and and rugby. Um, and so when you go to to rugby and league, uh, that I had a bit of knowledge in, but not a huge amount. Um, I was very Stern on myself of not ever disrespecting the audience that I didn't put in the work to know what they knew at home. And really little things like, you know, you get one word wrong and you found out. So judiciary, tribunal, sideline, boundary, umpire, ref, um, you know, medallions, rings. There's so many little things, league, rugby, like things just as basic as that, that if you get it wrong, people will immediately go. Doesn't know what she's talking about. Yeah. So I was really strict on myself. I remember going home with headaches just because I'd had to concentrate so hard on every word that came out of my mouth. Oh, I, I don't thought.
1: think people appreciate enough how hard it actually is to commentate. Like after like just doing this podcast for a couple of months, I now appreciate how hard it is for anybody on radio or broadcast and TV commentary. It is so hard because to get everything right, like it is, it is actually a really difficult job.
2: Yeah, I think the the greatest um, representation of the human brain is the fact that touch wood I haven't sworn on air because I'm a proper <laughs> potty mouth off air. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I think the brain does some miraculous things when you're on air. But, yeah, I just, I mean, I love all sports. I love storytelling. I can, As long as I know the backstories, I can get interested in lawn bowls. Um, and I, I think if you're a good broadcaster, you can make people interested in lawn bowls or whatever it is. Um you know, no, nothing against lawn for anyone listening <laughs> that's a big lawn fan. But it's, you know, that that's our job is to make it interesting and tell the stories and um, get people excited. So, and it doesn't necessarily need to be negative. I think there's a lot of really, you know, like the Indian cricket team, for example, this summer, there's so much there to get excited about and, and focus on the positives that, yeah, that's that was always my passion no matter what the sport was. So whilst it was great for a few years where I was doing pretty much Aussie rules during the winter and then cricket during summer. It was really nice to hone in and and be comfortable with my knowledge, in and and my um my contacts and relationships with people. It's also really fun to just you know last year go from tennis to Super Bowl to Women's World Cup to Indian Premier League to you know to and to actually just mix it up. It, it's good fun and it keeps you on the on the go.
0: Yeah. Now I want to throw it back a few years because uh, I know. Uh, you you were talking about uh, on a few other podcasts that um you were you were Channel Seven, and it was a good job on today tonight, I believe, uh, in Perth. But then you'd uh, make this decision to move into state, to pursue some other options. So, can you talk us through that whole experience about making such a big move in your life at a pretty early age, early in your career, uh, just to um yeah, just completely change your path, really?
2: Yeah so I was at Channel 7 in Perth. It was my first like real job out of uni. Um, I got a job through work experience basically. I I did a bunch of work experience for them and showed that I was capable and then from there they kind of just gave me a few opportunities. I started as a sports reporter on the weekends and then basically just did pinch hitting because I'd studied as a journalist so I could do general news as well and um, I would just do pick up interviews and and then sports raps and things like that. So I was just turned 21 when when I got that job, um, and yeah, the end of 2006 because it was it was just after West Coast had won the flag, and then everything started to blow up in the West Coast situation and Ben Cousins and everything. So I was thrown right into the deep end of, you know, having a doorstop Chad Fletcher about hey Chad the night you died in Vegas are you going to release a toxicology report like it was not what I thought I would be doing as a sports reporter um and then so I was working with news on the weekends and then I did three days a week with with today tonight for a little bit as well doing sports stories um which was a huge learning curve a 21 year old producing um and sometimes reporting you know at times half hour specials um, which was just, I mean, looking back, it was insane what, what the boss Mario Drazio threw my way, but he just sort of had this belief in me and he terrified me as well, but he still remains, you know, a, a like a, a kind of mentor to me and, um, you know, somebody that clearly saw something, I guess, and went, let's throw her in the deep end and see if she can swim. If she doesn't, somebody will, you know, help her out. But, um, I managed to sort of get out of it. So yeah, that was a really huge experience for me and then I was there for about four years and I sort of just decided um you know it was a really good job at I, I was only at Tate tonight for that year, but for Channel Seven News I was there for four years and it was it was an amazing job straight out of uni and I, I loved doing it but I just decided that I wanted to give it a crack on the East Coast. I was sort of a little bit tired of doing stories of Daniel Kerr's hammy and Chris Judd's groin so decided to to, to move to Sydney where my brother also lived as well. Um, and, yeah, quit my job and tried my luck in Sydney, basically. Picked up a few shifts doing Sunrise Sports producing um, and and some casual shifts at, at Fox Sports News and then ended up getting a full-time job at FSN sort of not long after.
1: It must have been such a tough decision because you had, you know, you had the secure job in Perth. But then obviously that probably the work that you wanted to do more was in the East. Like, I know I'm just 22 now and sort of how like, I'm sort of at that stage of my life where, you know, you have to choose like career path to go down, you know, coming towards the end of my uni degree. Were you ever like, was it tough to sort of leave that secure position or was it something that nah, you were never looking back at? You always knew that you had could give yourself a couple of years because I feel like in our early twenties, this is the sort of time that we can, we can do that. Like we have no mortgage. We have no, like you don't have any kids. You have no real responsibility. So, you, you don't necessarily need that financial stability, which would be so hard to do when your 30s, when you might have a house or other financial responsibilities.
2: Yeah. So, it, was 20, it started 2010. So, it was 24. Yeah. I, it was 24 when I when I decided to quit. I did have a mortgage. Oh. <laughs> so I still decided to quit. I remember thinking that my dad might maybe think that I was being a bit daft by quitting such a good job. You know, like yeah. it was Perth, but it was... It's still a major um, market, and, yeah,
1: definitely. You know, channel
2: Seven is by far and away the most dominant um, channel over in in WA, so it was a huge job for me straight out of out of uni. So yeah, it was a big decision, but I just wanted to, like I say, give it a crack. Um, and I remember Dad at the airport, sort of saying, pulling me aside and saying. Um, you know, I think you've done the right thing, and I'm proud of you, and and made me cry because my dad doesn't say <laughs> much about anything. Um, and he sort of, you know, he said, "Oh, you know, if you if you get stuck, I'll, I'll give you money." And and I actually got to Sydney, and he put some money in my bank account, and I I actually sent it back to him, and I said, I, "I I love you, and I appreciate you for doing this, but I really want to do this on my own. I promise you, if I get stuck, I will ask for help. I have no." shame in in that um but i just for now i just want to do this on my own um now if my dad deposited money in my bank account i'm like yeah bring it dad
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah we all would hey but like going to that uh going to sydney and it's obviously perth's big city but sydney's whole step up uh, i think i'm like no expo in perth obviously but is that you must have been pretty nervous and uh were you timid first going into Fox Sports News and uh, your casual roles and Sunrise and stuff like that or straight into it with a bang?
2: Not really. I mean, I'd already worked four years and, like I say, in pretty tough circumstances. It was the biggest story in in Australian sport was in Perth. It, it was the Eagles and what they were going through and, and Ben Cousins and, um, and Chris Jard and all of that situation really was the biggest sports story. So I felt like I'd been pretty well versed um, to, to give it a crack. Um, like I said earlier, it was a few nerves with my knowledge of NRL and things like that. I remember it was quite early on um, that I, sorry, the wind chimes going a bit nuts here, um, <laughs> at my friend's house, not my place. Um, I, yeah, one of the first stories that I I sort of major stories that I did was um you know got the call from the chief of staff that sort of said might have to divert you from roosters to nrl headquarters There's a there's whispers that there's going to be a, a big yarn breaking um we're not sure what it is but uh it sounds you know i think i think you need to get there it sounds pretty big and i was like yeah no worries so I sort of went to nrl headquarters and as the hours sort of unfolded it became more and more apparent of this is a massive story brewing, none of us still knew exactly how big it was going to be, but we knew it was something about a salary cap breach, something regarding the Melbourne Storm. We went in there and it was Gallup doing the, who was the the CEO of the NRL at the time and doing the press conference. And when he said the words that Melbourne Storm are going to be stripped of two premierships, I mean, you could almost hear the jaws dropping in in the room. It, It was... Um, very, you know, even from me, a non-NRL person, this was a huge, you know, game-changing story. Um, So, yeah, there were certainly moments like that where I was like, I am not the best person for this job. No. <laughs> like, send someone NRL down to uh, NRL HQ, stat. Um, <laughs> but you know, you sort of managed to to get through it, um, and yeah, it was the it was a huge thing that. To witness
1: really yeah I, I remember that because I think that happened back in 2010 so before so as I say I live in the peninsula now but I grew up in Carlton I actually lived right across the road from Prince's Park and this was where Melbourne Storm trained at Vizio Vizy Park or whatever with Carlton before they've moved to Amy Park so I remember seeing all the news crew and stuff out there and stuff like you could see it from your house it was absolutely crazy yeah it
2: was I mean a massive story still is a massive story yeah but- yeah, I mean, over the years, I've had to cover a few really big stories. That, like I say, right from the get go with West Coast, I was doing stuff that, I mean, that's not what you sign up for as a as a sports journalist. The number of sort of tragedies that I've had to cover and um, and things like that. It's yeah, it's certainly not always um, roses and hammies.
0: Yeah, like 2010, did you say? I, I would have been seven and
2: like <laughs> making <laughs> that, <us> <laughs> that
0: <laughs> making like,
1: me feel old mate <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: got to be like probably my first rugby league memory and the probably the biggest story I can remember when I was that old it was just like being thrown into that uh, like you said it, it's just like incomprehensible really just would have been insane but uh, yeah hate to go over it too much but might move on to something else um something else that uh we were Think about talking about was I know, uh, being obviously a female journalist, you probably get asked this kind of thing a lot, uh, but there's been certain uh, incidents and stuff with uh, Chris Gale, uh, uh, certain people doing stupid things like that. Do you get much feel uh, like that gets a bit uh, uh, unbearable at times, or do you learn to deal with it, or has it died down much recently?
2: I mean, it's always going to be hard being a woman in a male-dominated industry, and things are things are getting better, but it's still there's such a long way to go. And um, yeah, I, I think it is it's bloody tough to be a, a woman in in this industry sometimes. And the, and the moments that you go, oh, I don't feel I can keep going, or I don't, I'm not, you know, I'm a bit tired of this. Um, I sort of always have have had that philosophy of. If, if you don't keep going, then all you're doing is leaving the mess for the next lot of girls that are coming through. So as far as, as you know, us girls now and the women of the future can just keep pushing as much as possible throughout our careers, it just pushes it all a little bit further, a little bit further for the next lot coming through and hopefully it gets to a point where it is equal because it, it's a little better now with, with women on air. It's still a long way to go, but behind the scenes um, there's just – there's very, very, very few women in, in sports broadcasting. And so I think that there still is a long way to go to to get to a point where, um, yeah, it is it is fully inclusive.
1: Do you ever get sick of being asked, because it's completely valid question by Harper, and it's something that's obviously interesting to know how you find the industry, obviously, being a uh, female sports broadcaster, but do you ever get sick of like, thinking, like, hang on, would you ask a male journalist what they what it's like being a male journalist in the industry? Do you ever get sort of being sick of it? Because I'm sure you get asked a lot when you get, get asked on podcasts what it's like being a female broadcaster. Are you a bit sick of the question? Would you rather just be like, I'm just a broadcaster?
2: No, I don't mind it because it it is hard and it is, you know, different. And I think when you talk about it, it it brings things to light and hopefully makes people be a little, um, like, I guess just watch what they say and do a little more and maybe empathize with with people a little more um so i don't mind talking about it and i think the older i get you think the more used to um being a woman and the things that come with it but it's actually the opposite it's more like it builds and it builds and it builds and it builds and it gets to a point where it's like really like are we still you know toilets aren't opened or you know whatever it is um and don't get me wrong i love my job i'm I'm not complaining but it is it is definitely i believe still harder um for the things that you don't see um for for a woman um the uh, and to your to your point it's things like when people say um stuff like uh one of the best female commentators whether it's me or, or somebody else it's frustrating because you go well, why do you have to put that caveat yeah. on it like you mm. you know Isha Gula, for example I think he's just one of the best, best yeah. yeah she's amazing full yeah. Stop. So
1: yeah yeah like you I yeah yeah definitely like you never hear Like I'm trying to think of a commentator off my head I'd just say you're a big fan of Shane Warner as a commentator you, you never say best male commentator just yeah. best commentator which yeah. I agree it's just it's the job first yeah I, can, so I I think I think agree. it's up to
2: you know it's Guys like you guys coming through, that'll make the real change, um, you know, with how it's viewed, how inclusive you are of women and making sure that, you know, not necessarily always on air, but the women around you that you're actually honestly asking them, hey, what is it like for you? And is there anything I can do better? Is there anything I should be aware of? Um, Because there's a lot of stuff that we just don't talk about or don't bring to the fore because you know, you don't want to be seen as difficult or a whinger or whatever. But if somebody quietly came up to me and asked, hey, i Z, I'd be more comfortable in actually saying, yeah, you know what, when they said this or when this happens, it makes me feel a certain way. And then maybe you go about it differently next time, or you call out one of your mates next time when they say something.
1: Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, definitely. I think one of the big biggest examples of that was the fact that a couple of years ago, Carl Stefanovic wore the same suit on air yeah. for a year. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody picked up on it, but then there's all the critiquing of the, um, of his co-hosts, like what they're wearing, which is just an example of how prevalent it still is in society.
2: Yeah, exactly. And the role that, um, that blokes can have in pointing out the double standards. And um, yeah, I think, I think blokes, it's a bit like the conversation, you know, about Australia Day or Black Lives Matter. It's up to listening To people who are impacted by it, Indigenous Australia, um, you know, African-American, black people in in the States, whoever it is, it's about listening to what they have to say, giving them the space to say it, but also as white Australia or males in the context that we're talking about, actually listening and then putting it in in practice yourself and, and taking ownership of it rather than going, oh, it's not my problem, I won't, you know, I won't enter that conversation.
0: Yeah, and like 60 years ago there were people in Australia who thought Aboriginal people shouldn't be considered citizens of Australia. So uh, it's just hopefully it gets better with time and like we can hope in uh, maybe when Lockie and I are in 30 years or so that uh, it's close to 50-50. You see as many females and males doing the same kind of roles, especially in sports journalism because I I think someone like you uh, and whatever other uh, female sports journalists there are sports broadcasters there are hopefully they you guys uh really uh you are you are role models so hopefully uh girls uh, in, in 10 years old or whatever say oh i want to be a sports journalist in the future because of nerily meadows
1: well I think not just that I think it's also just the growing of um, female sport like mate the Australian women's cricket mm-hmm. team I mean is there a better I don't think there's a better Australia team at the moment in any sport than the, those guys are superstars yeah. continually win I mean the I think we um as part of our Christmas podcast we did our highlights for the year my number one was the uh, the 85,000 that went to watch the Women's World Cup final which was just absolutely phenomenal and you just have the growing you know you have the AFLW which is starting up again with the, uh, the practice matches I feel the fact that it's becoming sports but just becoming more accessible for everybody will also really help with that growth
2: yeah absolutely you are spot on um you know the women's like working on the women's cricket world cup last year um and and looking up in the stands seeing eighty six thousand people and i was interviewing elisa healy who i've now known you know for years and i'm good mates with her husband mitch as well and you know just walking across the the mcg with eight, both of us just looking up and seeing eighty six thousand people in the stands and she's just you know, you know match winning knock and both of us just sort of looking at each other like we didn't think we'd you know experience this and it's so significant and interviewing you know Billie Jane King who's been you know, massive for, for women's rights in sport for such a long time and and interviewing her after the final and and saying to her and obviously she doesn't have a huge knowledge of cricket but saying to her you know for for a sport they like traditionally call the gentleman's game and she sort of you know cuts me off and Says the gentleman's game, it's the women's game now, and I'm like, that's pretty cool. Um, and I look at my niece, who you know she's about to turn nine, and and I'm super so envious of her, but I'm so happy, and I, I get such joy out of seeing her because we go and kick the footy together in a park. Like that's what we do together. And she goes to the Dockers cause I go for the Dockers and she plays Oz kick. Um, and her three younger brothers love footy because their cool big sister loves footy. Like, so it's not just her perception that has changed, but her three little brothers have a big sister who plays footy and a, um, an auntie that works on sport. So their perception is changed just like that. And I think that's pretty cool. We can change it pretty quickly if we put the right things in play.
1: Yeah, Definitely. I can relate to that. My um, my girlfriend played footy and still plays footy. Obviously, she wasn't able to play last year. But then, I guess, in tow with that, her younger brother started playing footy at the same junior football club as her. So, that's something I can yeah. definitely relate to, which is awesome.
0: And my sister's been playing for longer than me now. She's... Uh, three years younger than me and like she, she's probably better player than me now. So it's, it's
2: not much prob- to you. Yeah, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what do you mean yeah. probably?
0: I
1: don't think there's any probably in that.
0: Hun- yeah. 100% <laughs> better player than me. Uh Like, yeah, it's just great. Great to see uh, what the AFLW and all the women's sport has done to inspire young girls around the country.
2: Yeah, it's amazing. And like I say, my, my niece, Miller, she, you know, her eighth birthday was spent running out onto, off to stadium in front of, you know, 30,000-odd fans for the first ever W Western Derby um, running out as the, the team mascot. So I sit there going, mate, like what an experience for her to look back on in, in 30 years' time or whatever and go, that you know, that little girl was me first ever. Like that's, that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. That was awesome. And now – I guess going back to the cricket, I'd love to talk about IPL 2020 and getting to cover that. I think the first thing I'd like to talk about is just the quarantine, the fact that you had to quarantine twice to have that opportunity. like You had to quarantine for I don't know how long when you got to um, – was it in Dubai? Yeah, just a week in Dubai. A week.
2: You have have and a negative and, test on the way there.
1: And then two weeks on your way back, which is just yeah. absolutely crazy, especially when you consider the fact that at the moment you have the tennis players complaining about their quarantine. Like, and they're getting paid a lot of money. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, how how was that for you? First, just that the quarantining. Did you hate it? Enjoy it? Because I know my mum actually. She didn't. She had to quarantine, and for her, it was perfect. She didn't have to. She didn't have to do anything. She just got to chill. Like, she had a laptop. She could work. Like, for her, it was almost like relaxing. I don't think she would have been able to do like another day for it. But at least for her, because obviously it was a pretty busy life. It was just a time to just sit back and yeah, not do too much.
2: It's funny because on the way there the quarantine was actually really really helpful because it gave me a time to prep for the tournament and I was also doing some uni studies as well so I actually used every bit of time that I had um, to do all my prep and then the quarantining on the way home I knew that at the end of it I was going to get to see my family for the first time in nine months so it was so worth it Um, and yeah once again had some uni assignments and stuff like that. I didn't I mean, it's not great, but I didn't find quarantining hard at all compared to the challenges of the rest of 2020. So it is funny when you you know you look at the tennis players. I'm not an elite athlete, obviously. They're not great circumstances to be preparing for a tournament, but. I just kind of feel like that's the world we're living in right now. It's a matter of your mindset. And if you're a tennis player, you, you know, you surely thrive on two sets to love down in a grand slam backs up against the wall. What, you know, how do I get myself out of this? How do I, you know, turn this, this game, you know, this match around point by point, game by game and, and really, Embracing that mindset challenge. So, I don't understand why more of the tennis players aren't just doing that, like using it as resilience preparation as opposed to, yeah, not the greatest physical preparation. But imagine if you do that and then, you know, win the Australian Open. Like, what a story is that? Just embrace the challenge this two shall pass. Um, and, you know, you're getting a massive paycheck at the end of it, regardless, even if you lose the first round. So, really, like, it's not the worst thing in the world.
1: Yeah, it must have been so surreal as well just to travel in 2020, especially in the later half to get the chance to go overseas, which just would have been, yeah, so weird given the crazy year that you had that you were going to Dubai to cover the IPL.
2: Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, I think in the t- space of 12 months from September to September, I'd managed to get to Croatia, Vietnam, the USA, and the UAE, and I'd spent six months in my apartment by myself. So <laughs> I feel like I did pretty good um, in hindsight, but yeah, it was weird traveling and living in a bubble and, and and all that sort of thing, and then stepping foot out of hotel quarantine into Western Australia, which is like COVID never, ever happened, and I want to scream at people, put your masks on, stop touching me. <laughs>
0: yeah yeah like d- doing stuff like that covering the IPL covering all, all this all these amazing events like the Super Bowl all the stuff you covered last year that that's just amazing considering you probably weren't in like you' probably in a bit of a dark headspace uh, when you uh, were cut by Fox Sports just a bit earlier so like the kind of resilience to pick yourself back up and do all this amazing stuff the podcast as well. It's amazing and uh, inspiring, really.
2: Yeah, thanks. I think it's just all about, you know, acknowledging the headspace that you're in but doing whatever you can, as I say, to focus on the positives. And I look back at 2020 and there's so much, you know, that, like we've covered, you know, cricket, women's cricket World Cup, Australian Open, court announcing Roger Federer, and Rafael Nadal, Serena Williams, Novak Djokovic, Ash Barty. You know, you're sitting there going, like ah, that's that's pretty crazy. Um, you know, Super Bowl obviously the IPL. The way that I sort of sum up 2020 is I say I had three police escorts: one to the one at the Super Bowl week, um, one to the opening match of the IPL, and one to hotel quarantine. So That pretty much sums up my 2020.
1: So, yeah, I guess going to the podcast, because obviously you had to you face a bit of adversity towards the end of 2019, I, I feel like the angle that you went with your podcast was really interesting, particularly, I guess, focusing on the mental health aspect of sport, because that's something like we have a lot of great podcasts in Australia that we're really lucky to have that, but there was nothing that really took that angle. So, it was that, so I guess what sort of inspired you to sort of go down that path and really have those deep and meaningful conversations with these athletes that really, I guess, opened up the door for us to understand how difficult it actually is to play sport at the, elite, at the elite level.
2: Yeah, like I say, I always feel like storytelling was something that I was really passionate about, and I think athletes have a brilliant opportunity to um, lead to social change and, um, you know, social inclusion, and I think mental health is a huge aspect of that at the moment, and if athletes can use their platform to really push that and normalise it, I think it's huge um, rightly or wrongly we look up to, to athletes particularly in this country and so if a Glenn Maxwell a Nathan Lyon a, um Adam chalor is talking openly and honestly um, you know openly crying and and sharing their darkest moments uh, then that is really relatable for for us as um, you know average Aussies and I think it can really help inspire people to to talk themselves but also try and change and and confront challenges and overcome adversity and for me that's always been a massive thing i've always felt that there's a fair bit of journalin- journalism in sport that kind of is a bit too negative um, i know there's you know that holding people accountable and and everything and that that is important and fans want answers a lot of the time but i just think it's important to remember it in the context that they're not criminals they're not politicians they're sports people so holding them accountable needs to be kept within a you know perspective of it is sport at the end of the day no matter how much passion and money and all of those sort of things we put into it it is really important that, to maintain that perspective they are human beings first and athletes second
0: any plans for season two
2: yes uh gathering uh interviews as we speak i put it on the back burner during covid because i didn't want to do it um over zoom um so much of my style is non-verbal communication and it just doesn't have the same sort of impact for what i wanted to do and when it's only my little project doesn't really matter you know when and how it happens (laughs) so it's just sort of you know for me to um put together so yeah season two uh will be happening keep an eye out
1: Super exciting. Four year Super. out, I should say. <laughs> Hopefully we'll be on the podium with you at the next sport Best Sports Podcast <laughs> Awards. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Big dreams, big dreams. But is, is that um, the main thing you're working on at the moment? Is the main plan for uh, the next few months uh, or any other future plans you've got?
2: Yeah, uh, I'm about to hop on a meeting actually in about two minutes with uh, Tennis Australia, so hosting for the Australian Open and ATP Cup coming up, so that'll be the next thing. And uh, yeah, a few other bits and bobs planned, but basically, I've just got to kind of wait and see how COVID um, happens and hotel quarantine and you know getting exemptions to get in and out of Australia and all that is is the challenge at the moment for someone like me.
1: Yeah, well, I'm also very happy the Australian Open uh, is going ahead. I've got a internship with a company that's involved in that on the account side, so I'm very happy that it's going ahead because I get to do my internship. And now we'll finish up with our last question, which is basically just the what your life philosophy. Like, is there anything in particular that you sort of try to live your life by, any, I guess, words or any just, I guess, thoughts that really that you hold dear to yourself that I guess our listeners could take forward and potentially learn from?
2: Yeah, I just think, once again, that don't let a fear of failure get in the way of having a crack it's so important to to live life and and you know do things to the best of your ability and try new things because you just don't know how strong you are until you get out of your comfort zone um and I think it's really important to to embrace that and the other thing I would say is never get to a space where you're not celebrating your mates um, always celebrate your mates and their achievements and always empathise with their struggles because you never want to be the person that was, you know, too caught up in their own head to, to not rejoice in a close, you know, a close friend or a family member having their own little wins.
0: Yeah, 100%. Uh, but we know you've got to get going. Uh, so we say a big uh, thank you for coming on to the show, Narely. It's been a pleasure talking to you.
2: Thanks so much, guys. I really appreciate it. Good luck with the uh, rest of your season.
1: thanks so much for that narrowly it was an absolute pleasure to have you on had an absolute ball and unfortunately we didn't have time for the uh the quiz this week but don't worry listeners it'll be back bigger than better than ever next week now harps narrowly has a pretty good uh podcast itself can you plug it for me
0: yeah, yeah. She's doing all kinds of stuff at the moment. That's a big reason why we couldn't do the quiz. We just ran out of time. She's got so much on. Uh, her podcast is called Ordinarily Speaking. We mentioned that uh, she was about to start releasing season two in this episode and we did this a while ago, so I reckon she's about four episodes in now. So go listen to that, Ordinarily Speaking. She's also doing IPL at the moment in India. She's quarantining in India right now. So she's got a lot on her plate and we love her work.
1: Yeah, geez, she's spent half her life in quarantine by the sands over the last 12 months. And speaking of plugging her podcast, I reckon it's time that we plug our own in our socials. So we'd love any support we can get. So if you could uh, give us a like on Facebook at Where Do We Begin, uh, follow us on Spotify, or if you could uh, follow us on Instagram or Twitter at WDWB Pod, that would be massively appreciated.
0: Yeah, exactly. And don't forget those five-star reviews because that's what mean the most to us uh, as well as just face-to-face shoutouts and of course uh, totally mates about ordinarily speaking as well because that is a cracker i've got to say we take a lot of inspiration from that show when we get a bit deep sometimes so it's really really good highly recommend if you're not already listening and actually something else that i highly recommend if you're not already listening craig whistles a yank on the footy the great man we love him here at where do we begin uh one of the Probably the best friend of the show. He's got his own podcast, of course, A Young and the Footy. He actually interviewed Neroli Meadows uh, just yesterday, if you're listening to this on the Monday. Uh, highly, highly recommend that podcast, A Younger of the Footy. He's a great guy and it's a great podcast. So if you like your footy, it's just awesome. Like seriously, go listen. But Lockie, we better wrap up. So anything else you've got? And last week but not least, thank you so much for our listeners for sticking around and can't wait for the episode next week. Yeah, it is going to be a big one with a legend of a particular sport in this country, Australia. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening, guys.
1: See you, guys. Thanks again.